Good morning. I'm Mark Blair, and today we'll be reading from Matthew 13, 44 through 46. And in your pew Bible, you can find that on page 819. Again, this will be Matthew 13, verses 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is the word of the Lord. Roxy and Mark. Hey, if we haven't met, my name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors, and um, I've actually been gone two weeks, so it's good to meet you. And um, man, I miss praying with you and singing with you. It's good to be back. We had some vacation and a family wedding, um, but I'm thankful to, to be here with you and thankful to engage in this text and this sermon in light of all that's happened this week. This will probably feel some like a fireside chat, some like a prophetic warning, some like a counseling session, some like a challenge. Hopefully it's gives you some hope, um, which probably is the way most Sundays should feel. What I actually want to do is just follow the teaching of this text. I'm really grateful that as we mapped out sermons, not knowing all that would happen in different places in kind of our time, that God's rooted us in these kingdom parables, which is aimed at changing our perspectives, informing our perspectives, challenging our perspectives, rebuking our perspectives. It's inviting us and challenging us to think more clearly about the kingdom of God. I'm also grateful that it's only like three verses to unpack in light of all the things culturally that we should at least name and pray for and address. So I want to just kind of walk through the point of that text. And and my goal is to ground us and root us in what the text talks about of the treasure that is in the kingdom of God being the supreme thing in all the universe. I mean, you, you just you know what it means. It's really clear. Jesus is telling us that of all the things that we could value, the kingdom of God and his, his work on the world and his redemption is the thing that is most important. It's most supreme. It should capture our attention. And to the degree that we talk about what happened with the Supreme Court ruling this week, it, it'll be in light of the fact that you do business and you raise kids and you try to figure out who to marry and how to spend your money. You work jobs in neighborhoods in ways that are showing compassion and mercy, but are also rooted in a politicized world. And I would guess I will offend and confuse everyone at different points this morning. That's not my goal, but Jesus tends to do that. Jesus tends to provoke even those who think that they have the right view of everything. In fact, his opponents often in scriptures are those who are really convinced they understand what the word of God means and apply it to everybody else in one way. And in those spaces what Christ is inviting us to is not to relativism, but to think deeply about what is most important in the kingdom. And as we walk through that, I don't know if you've noticed, but like we live in a pretty divided world, even even in the church. There are people on every issue in lots of different places, right? Whether you want to talk COVID or vaccines or gun laws or abortion rights, we have Christians in lots of different places. And I think that's actually somewhat beautiful and it is really complicated. So when it comes to what does it mean for us to have a just view of what's best for women, 
we should just acknowledge the fact that I have some limitations as one who's not a woman. But I am married, and I have a daughter, and as I listen to them and learn from them, um, neither one of them are inerrant, neither one of them are perfect, but, but they are amazing. They're actually both serving in our kids' ministry right now, and, and one of them I am incredibly attracted to. She is amazing. Uh, she's deep in wisdom and conviction, and I learn from her compassion and her tears and her prayers every day. The other one I'm really proud of, and at 18, she is still very much baking. Her whole life has been big emotions, big ideas, big dreams. And as we talked about this, and I asked her as we were going to bed last night, hey, sweetie, would you just pray for me? I want wisdom. I want to speak God's word to his people. And there's just a lot that's pretty complicated. And she said, yeah, I'll pray. Like, and dad, let's be honest. Nobody cares what a middle-aged white guy thinks about this. <laughs> We've come a long way from like tucking in at night and a kiss on the head, like these... <laughs> These are different. These are different days, uh, but I just like receive that. I receive the limitations of my perspective. And though I love my wife and daughter, and I love the women of our church, and I care deeply about the pain that we experience in our culture, I have I have some limitations. I just want to name that up front. And in that space, I've tried to listen, but by definition, like I I just can't understand fully. Uh, Elizabeth grew up in a very different world than I grew up in. Like, her understanding of what's true has been challenged. Um, she, she's grown up in a world where her friends and her teachers have shaped her in ways that have great, greater compassion, maybe, but also some confusion. And growing up in a world where, like, there's gender dysphoria and walking with her friends who feel the pain of that, the constant objectification of being a young woman in a porn-saturated culture, I mean, it has wreaked havoc on our world, and it's dehumanized most of her interactions. So my daughter thinks about this differently than I do as a 45-year-old middle-aged white guy. And my wife, who grew up in a family where for generations women were taken advantage of, who's, who's worked in an urban school, uh, who worked for United Way, who's worked at churches, who now works for an attachment and trauma therapy group where she interacts with people on a daily basis who are facing the impact of neglect and pain and abuse. Uh, she's been shaped. She has values and longings and she longs to be fiercely pro-life in a way that's holistic in a way that acknowledges the injustice of the world and she reminded me this morning like the first verse that she memorized as a new believer was from psalm 139 that talks about children being seen and knit together in their mother's womb and it still brings tears to her eyes to just name the beauty of what it means that god ordains life in the womb and that children that are unborn matter to god and she has these longings and these questions, and she's wondering how to apply those truths in a really broken, distorted, painful world. So this morning, um, I, I want to just invite you to ask, hey, what perspectives and experiences and values shape how you interpreted what happened this week? What lenses did you bring into the Supreme Court ruling? What did you celebrate? What were you concerned about? Where did your heart break? Where were you so grateful for 50 years of prayers? Like, how did you engage this? And how mindful are you that you do bring in perspectives and lenses? Again, it does not make truth relative, but it impacts how we think about truth and how we apply it to the places of our life. And are you aware that in your own soul, you have competing values? Jesus actually says that. There's treasures in the world that we have, all these 
people in this text, in these two little parables, they already have some treasure, and treasure would be a metaphor for values, for worth, for things you see as significant. They already have a set of values. They have a set of things that are important, and they have things that are costly, things that, that again, have value to them and to those around them. And then they find something of greater value. They find something of deeper value. They find something that actually is an orienting value that is worth giving everything else they loved and longed for away. So they might have this one, this one Jesus, this king of the kingdom who would radically change and transform the world. So, so I don't know what shapes all of your views. Even in the last couple of years, if it's taught us anything, it's that Christians have different perspectives on things like how to deal with COVID and vaccines and gun laws and how it comes to women's rights, babies' rights. How do you think about that? Do you call it, do you call it reproductive rights or do you call it valuing them both? The reason why you say what you say there is because of perspectives that you have. I hope that makes sense. And I want to invite you this morning just to consider that there are things you believe that Jesus wants to challenge. There are things you believe that Jesus wants to affirm. We all have a mixed bag because we're made in the image of God that we believe some things are in line with this kingdom and some things that are not. So at the risk of oversimplifying, my understanding of why Christians who believe the Bible is true come down on different places on such important issues and then have trouble agreeing or understanding each other, it's not that they are denying certain truths, it's the way they prioritize them. Like, I don't think there's people in the room who don't think babies matter, who think that murdering children in the womb is a good thing. I can't, I can't imagine anybody in the womb believes that. But as you wrestle with that truth and you think about a broken world, some bring the value of a woman's life and what it means for her to face injustice and to be abused and taken advantage of. And they wonder, where does that fit on the system and the scale with certain values? Where, where does government overreach fit? Where does my personal freedom fit? Where does the separation of church and state fit? We have all these things, and I think we have different, maybe even broad agreement on what those issues are. There'll be some variance for sure, but the main place of disagreement comes, I believe, maybe oversimplifying, in where we rank those. Again, I don't think anybody is saying unborn babies don't matter. Well, there may be, but I don't think if you follow Jesus, you're in this room, that's like your core belief. I think you just struggle to know, what do I do with that in light of all the implications that a woman might deal with because she grows up in an unjust world that has taken advantage of her. Where, where do I rank that? Does that make sense? This gives us opportunity to be charitable to each other, and it gives us opportunity to say, so what should be at the top of that list? What is the most important value that should be the gravitational center to all the other values? And that's exactly what Jesus gives to us. What a gift, just random providence that we would be assigned this text this morning to sit in the simple truth that Jesus says to us, the kingdom of God is the highest value. It's the E on the I chart. It's the thing that is the thing that makes sense of everything else. And we get invited to ask, how do we understand that? Where do we find ourselves there? My job as your pastor is to make sure that meta value is at the top of your life and heart. And friends, there's lots of places where it is not. Regardless of what happened with the Supreme Court, there are countless places where we grew up in a broken world, we've absorbed values and beliefs. You think about sex, money, your identity, job, other people, other races, other countries, 
all in ways that are very mixed, some beautifully aligned with the word of God and some more in line with the vision and value of the world. There is another kingdom, right? So the competing values here, the treasures, one comes from the kingdom of God and one comes from the kingdom of this world. And it's close allied the kingdom of self, both of which have devastating consequences and both of which you absorb since the time you came out of the womb. You've been hearing competing voices about value and dignity and worth your entire life. Even if you grew up in the best of Christian schools, in the best of Christian homes, in the best of churches, you have heard and absorbed different beliefs and ideas. My job as your pastor, I don't believe to tell you how to vote. I think actually the political system is too small to hold the value of the kingdom of God. I think to push on us one Christian party or one Christian way to vote would be too small. The kingdom of God cannot be contained by a political party. It's just too small. It would be like asking which Lego fits with that miter joint or what spice should you use with that piece of music. You're like, wait, they're just two different things. We're talking children's construction blocks and wood. We're talking cooking and music. We're talking the kingdom of God, the meta kingdom of God versus a man-made attempt at reigning in evil and seeking flourishing of its citizens that changes from culture to culture and time to time. All of us are blind to and receive benefit from. So it's just like too big. The kingdom of God is too big. And don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying politics don't matter. I love the people in our body who work for the government, who are laboring for policies that match the heart of God and bring about equity and justice and mercy in our community. I I love that. But when I stand here and say, thus saith the Lord, to give you a political view of that would be just too small. But we should actively apply the good news of the gospel to where you really live, which is in a politicized world. And and sadly, things like human rights and values have been co-opted by certain people in our government and institutions, and we've gotten really confused on what is political and what is biblical? What matters to God and what I should vote for based on what my party has told me. And I just want to say, Jesus gives us a gift this morning on a week that we're celebrating and lamenting. Like we should celebrate a culture that says yes to valuing life. And there's a lot more that needs to happen. There's a lot more needs that we should engage with, right? So let's not turn down the celebration that our culture is saying what is near to the heart of God, that life matters, all human life matters. And then we have work to do when it comes to how we have believed the lies of our culture and community, the kingdom of self and the kingdom of world that has let us allow things to go on in our culture because we didn't feel the pressure and weight of that. Like if all those babies had been born, how would the church have responded with adoption and foster care? Where would we be in those spaces? And someone has said, like, all right, now, now our job begins. And I just sunk in my heart, like, oh, no, we've been having this job for 2,000 years. Right. And, and we have actively or passively, in sins of omission and commission, missed the heart of God in our community to defend, to protect, to, to come alongside of the most vulnerable at, at any age in our community, in our world. So... I, I care what you think politically. I do. Like, you matter, therefore I care. But my job, I think, is to get us to a meta value that would help you make sense of all of your life. And I want to put you where Jesus puts you in saying, hey, there is one thing 
that makes sense of all the rest of the things. And if you'll pursue that, he's already told us, everything else begins to make sense. It's not the first time Jesus talked about treasure in the kingdom of God. Back in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, Jesus told us that we should pursue his kingdom and his righteousness and everything else would be added unto us. And it was a context of concern for like money and provision and even food. And the anxiety that comes from kind of a scarcity situation and, and having food shortages and economic challenges, which you go like, oh man, there we are, gas prices, thank you, we're, we're in that spot as well. And Jesus is saying, before you worry about that, would you seek the kingdom of God and that value? Because that value doesn't fade, that value doesn't rust, that value won't change or shift on you, that value is not votable. That value is eternal, and it lasts for forever, he says. So invest everything you have in the kingdom of God that will not fade, that will not rust, it will not be corruptible. And to the degree that we watch the lack of durability of the kingdom of self and the the relentless speech to you that you must define yourself, that it's your job to, to say who you are. You can't even trust your own body to tell you who you are. You have to decide who you are. And the fluidity that happens in that is just tipping off to us that it's, it's not durable enough to hold us. It will fade. It will rust. It will be corrupted. There's something deeper that we need. And Jesus roots as he's setting expectations of what it means to follow him and apprentice him in the kingdom to say, this is what you're aiming at is the kingdom of God. And all those other things matter. All the ways we express our desire to see justice come forward in our community, all of those matter, but they must come under alignment to what Christ has said to us. Here's the deal. We will always live in a space where we disagree on things. It's been that way from the very beginning. That's why we have 1 Corinthians 13 that tells us to have an ethic of love where we express certain gifts in certain ways and therefore compete like a mercy person and an administrative person often disagree with how you spend money. A leadership person and a shepherd person often disagree, right? That's just the way it goes. And so he says, before we go any farther to how you express your gifts and fulfill these things and the things that really matter, don't forget that love is what drives us, that helps us. And he defines that for us in really, really meaningful, robust ways. So, so we're always going to be confused, maybe for three different reasons. One, we, we are very finite and we live in a complicated, compounding, confusing world. So, so that's a prayer for wisdom. We we'll always will see through a glass dimly this side of eternity. There's things we simply cannot understand fully. So we need to ask God for wisdom. There's also places where we're blind, where, where we uh, don't see things. We're blind culturally. We can look back at history and see places where the church absolutely missed things that were very close to the heart of God and lived into and defended things that were unjust, and they were blind to it. In that space, we walk with humility. We ask people who disagree with us to help us see what they see. Help me understand why you rank this differently than I rank this. And not in a litigating, prove it to me way, but in a way that humbles my heart to say, I want to understand what you see because I, I have blindness that I don't, I don't fully understand. And there are places where we're out of alignment and we've been absorbed by the values of the world and that requires repentance and submission to God. There are things in lots of issues where we, we struggle to align our hearts underneath the authority of King Jesus. We're still living in the kingdom of self, with this, which is suffocating and claustrophobic, but we still are committed to it in so many ways because it benefits us and we're used to it. In those spaces, the call is to repent and to submit, to have our values come in conflict with the kingdom values is to call for, for repentance. 
which is what we try to do like all the time. It's what Colossians 3 calls us to, to, to put a, a righteousness in God, to ask him to shape how we think about the world, to, to walk humbly in wisdom, and to repent of places where we've loved other things. That's what we're committed to as a church. And so in this space, like what we're doing today is more of the same of asking, how do I engage this? Okay, so I'm saying we are bringing into this moment culturally and even in this room, even our relationships online, wherever you're having conversations, wherever you're praying and talking, you're bringing a competing set of values. Again, some of them are conflicted with different kingdoms in your own heart. Some of them you rank differently. I just want to ask what God would help us this morning to hear him, to engage with him. And already, I don't know, maybe you're going like, preach on, brother. Maybe you're going, ah, that's how I knew I was leaving the church. I don't know. I don't know where your heart is at this morning. And actually, I don't need you to agree with me. And I, I think I have cultural blindness. And I think there's places where I'm, I'm wrong. But I do think there are things in God's word that are true we can base our whole life on. And I just want to invite you this morning to ask Jesus to comfort you where you need comfort and to correct you where you need to be corrected, to, to give you hope, to provoke you, to, to teach you, to call you to himself. And I think we need kind of all of this. And so would you just bow your head with me for a second? I don't know how you're feeling. Maybe take a deep breath. Would you just ask the living God of the universe, the one who spoke this word, Jesus, the one who gives us this parable, who talks about the supreme value of the kingdom of God, would you ask him just to speak to you? Would you ask him to do some, some diagnostics? Would you ask him to comfort you? Would you ask him to help you? I'll just give you a second in silence, and then I'll pray for us, and we'll, we'll step towards this text. God, would you help us? Would you be merciful? Would you be powerful? Would you show yourself strong? Would you bring comfort and clarity, rebuke, correction, help? Would you, would you help us this morning? We want to celebrate when, when our culture aligns with your heart, and we want to grieve where it doesn't, and we ask for, for your help. God, would you come now in this moment, speak to my sisters and my brothers, and to me, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Hey, so I think in the days ahead, we will have prayer nights and forums and discussions about how to engage as a community. I know a lot of you are feeling burdens of like, okay, now that this has passed, I do want to bring about like a sense of mercy in my community. And I do want to think about initiatives of how to help. And I do want to get ready to welcome babies. I do want to come alongside of moms who feel like they have no hope. I do want to do real practical things. And here's the good news. I think God has given gifts to our body to do those things. And the scriptures say the pastor's job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That is not limited to inside these walls and pulling off a Sunday morning service. The work of the ministry, the kingdom of God is out, right? It's leaven, it's mustard seeds, it's spreading broadly. And so my job is to equip you to actually engage in the world around you with mercy and compassion and kingdom values. So, so in the days ahead, I want us to have lots of conversations. I think if we're not talking about this for decades, then we really missed it. I think this changes how our community goes, and it actually should bring about more joy, more relief. We should watch God do amazing things. And I do believe he's already giving you 
burdens. And some of you have unique gifts to mobilize other people towards ministry and mercy and justice. Like, I, I want to talk with you. I want us to move forward. I love that our uh, Outward Facing Ministries team met just last week and is already partnering with, like, single moms ministries and is giving money to those who are working in the urban core. But there are needs here in the suburbs. And we partner with a, a home that works with at-risk teen girls in our community. And so, so I think those are really good things. And I think we're just scratching the surface of what we're capable of. I just look around like there's a ton of resources. There's a ton of burdens. There's tons of prayers we can pray. God wants to release his people. His means of grace in the world often is his people. So political agendas are too small to hold the glory of the kingdom of God. But what he says does hold it is cracked pots and clay, little clay pots. He said, that's us. He said, that's, that's where I'm investing kind of the beauty and the mystery of the kingdom of God is in us, actually, as we engage in the world around us. So I think there's challenging days ahead, but beautiful days ahead. And I just want to name that because I want to invite you and your voice into the conversation so we can think about how to go forward. Jesus is saying to us a very clear, grounding, helpful, healing, reorienting word that we often forget that his kingdom is in competition with other things that we love, and it is the supreme value. He invites us at least to question what it is that we're treasuring, and he invites us into some sort of like cost-benefit analysis of the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of self compared to the eternal kingdom of God. And so as we step into that, I want to walk through the text kind of in four movements. I think these three verses show us a searching for the kingdom. It shows us a seeing of the kingdom, a selling everything for the kingdom, and a celebrating of the kingdom. I know it's a C, but it kind of rhymes, so I'm going to go with it. A search for the kingdom. Look at me, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and he covered up. So these are obviously parallels. The next one says in verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a, a merchant in search of fine pearls. So one, if you notice, it seems to be passive as if he like just stumbled across this thing that was hidden in the field. But verse 45 is, makes it clear this merchant is actually seeking. And the kingdom of God is like that. Sometimes we stumble upon it like, like a stumbling block that we face tragedy and crisis and pain, and we can't get over the fact that Jesus' kingdom is what we need. And we weren't actually looking for it actively, but we, he found us, and we stumbled across it almost as if it was hidden. And then there are those of you in the room who are actively searching. You're searching for truth. You're wondering where there's hope. You're wondering what Christ has done and does it make a difference in your life. You are actively searching like this merchant who's going out looking for fine pearls. There's a seeking after the kingdom. And whether it's accidental or it's active, there's a call here to engage that. And Jesus says, this is really good. This is orienting. This actually changes how you think about the rest of the treasure. So we have first a searching for the kingdom. I want to affirm those of you who are like asking big questions about who God is and how he fits in the world. What does it mean to actually live out his kingdom in this fallen and broken place? Like God wants to answer that. And this text says we shouldn't be passive. We shouldn't just sit back and wait. We should actually pursue and we should ask. You should ask big questions of a big God and search. This is not the image of like a guy with headphones and jam shorts and a metal detector searching for something to kind of add to his collection. This is something that radically replaces what you value and it's worth searching for. I think that's a point that Jesus wants to make in this text. And then they search for it and then they find it. They actually 
see it. They, they see the kingdom for what it really is. They see the hidden treasure for what it really is. And they calculate in that moment and say, oh my gosh, this is the most valuable thing I could ever own. I'm willing to go sell everything else I've acquired, everything else I have. I'm going to sell all of that so I could have this one thing, which is an amazing metaphor for dying to ourselves, to, to declaring bankruptcy on our ability or desire or the illusion that we could justify ourselves. That we could live in certain ways that actually made ourselves righteous with God or with others. It's saying this is the only thing that really matters. And even if you've like given yourself to like minimalist thinking, you still took some of your stuff with you into your little tiny house. This is an abandonment of everything. Just think for a moment. What if you went home and literally sold everything? All the mementos, all the heirlooms, all the stuff your grandfather made with his own hands. You sold your house, you sold your cars, you liquidated all your assets, you had no security blanket in those spaces, nothing was working for you in the money world. You liquidated all of it just so you could have this one thing. This parable calls us to see clearly how valuable the kingdom is. Remember, Jesus is adjusting our expectations. He's correcting our understandings. He's provoking us, actually. He's challenging us because there's a subtle temptation to go, oh, yeah, Heaven? Of course. Forgiveness of sins? Heck yeah. I will add that to what I'm already doing. That just makes a ton of sense. That will help me move forward. That's a 10x multiplier. I can take what I'm doing and I can maximize it with the help of Jesus. You're saying, no, no, no. We're not talking about adding value to what you're already doing. We're talking about declaring bankruptcy on one so you might have another. And it is this beautiful mystery of how the grace of God is totally free and it costs you your whole life. Jesus just says, you cannot have the kingdom unless you die to yourself. And we go, yeah, I'll go to Sunday school. Sign me up for a small group. I'm all in. He said, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about adding religious practices or behaviors. I'm talking about a love that actually is reorienting and is the gravitational center of your life. So that when you face something in culture that's really confusing, your first question is not, what does that blog say? Or what does my political party say? What does my family say? Who's going to be disappointed if I say this? It's, what does Jesus want from me? What does the kingdom of God look like? And and if I am persecuted and I'm hated and I'm misunderstood, I'm aligning myself with the thing that is most valuable. Christians, that is what Jesus calls you to. To be his disciple is not to add religious activities or a neat community. Like, man, who wouldn't want to be part of this church? This is an amazing community. But if you add church stuff to your own desire to acquire an identity on your own, you, you, you miss it. He's very clearly saying this is an all or nothing deal. It's not about salvation by works, but it is about this mystery of a free grace salvation that then costs you everything. And to the degree that we have hope in something else, I think the diagnostic is how upset or easily frustrated we get when that thing gets violated. When we love something else that gets stepped on or pushed aside or misunderstood and we flare up in those moments, like what are you most angry has gotten offended in the last 50 years, in the last last week? This seeing the value for what it really is is a diagnostic for us to go, am I trusting Christ and his kingdom as supreme? Which is why you have to be in God's word. And I'm not just talking about like a calculation of did you read enough verses to match the minutes that you read blogs, although there is something purely about just time. 
I'm talking about like the perspective and the desire to understand. Did you go to the scriptures Friday afternoon? But what do I do with my brothers and sisters that disagree? What would Jesus say? What, what verses make sense of this? How do I talk about it? Or did you just rely on what you'd already heard in other places and pull that in and be more affirmed in your decision? People who treasure the kingdom above everything, they, they sell all advice, all perspectives. And I'm not talking about getting in a cave in a hole. And I'm talking about it perspectively. What matters most to me is what Jesus says. Like, are you most concerned about offending Jesus with what you post online? Are you most concerned about offending Jesus when you talk to your children and they think you are outdated and antiquated? Are you most concerned about offending Jesus when it comes to talking with your coworkers who thought you were progressive and hip and cool and now they wonder if you actually believe that stuff? Jesus is telling us to see the value, not just search it out, but you have to actually see it and you have to sell everything to have it. This is agency. This is responsibility. It is free grace, but it is not passive. The Christian faith is not a passive faith. It is an active, beautiful, growing faith. All these organic metaphors are, are growing, cultivating metaphors. They're active metaphors. Where God is the main character, he's the one that does all the work, but we participate with him in ways that have things actually grow. He says, search for it see it for what it is, and then sell everything to have it. So, so some application, what would it look like for you to sell everything in this moment to treasure the kingdom of God in this cultural space with what our Supreme Court decided this week? Where, where would you express that? What, what might it look like? Can I just give you a couple of thoughts? One, let me just say thank you to those of you who carried children to full term and then let your children be adopted by somebody else? Like, can we just celebrate first the kingdom value of life and thank people that, that in great risk to themselves and vulnerability took children who were at risk and in really scary situations and they brought them to full term and then handed them over to someone else to care for? That act of courage is so beautiful and it matches what it means to sell everything, to say, I'm going to honor Jesus in this, care for this little baby, and I'm going to even die to my own desires in this spot and give this child away. For those who have adopted kids, thank you. Like, it means you orienting all of your money and your values and your free time and the things that you had dreamed about, that you wondered about, to say, man, I want to value what God values in this moment. And he led you to that particular expression, which is not everyone's particular expression. We'll get there in a minute. But we should just stop and say, it looks like that move of courageous faith. And we say, thank you. For those who are in our body who have felt the crushing weight of abortion, to trust Jesus as the center of everything is to look to him as the one who forgives you. We love you. We're thankful that you're in our body. We have a lot to learn from you. We want to walk with you. Like, thank you for, in the middle of confusion and pain, in a culture that sometimes actually says things that are, are hard for you to kind of receive in the moment, thanks for enduring and saying, man, in light of my past, I'm putting all my weight on Jesus. Thank you for those who actually have faced the crushing weight of abortion, men and women, for continue to pursue Christ. I think that's what it looks like to, to sell everything. Secondly, it looks like though we're not trusting our communities or our politicians we actually pray for them 
and we pursue something that's holistic. We ask God, what would you do in places where we can pursue justice and mercy and righteousness and, and see things develop in our community that would actually provide a net for care that made it plausible for somebody that they could actually make it through if they endured this unwanted situation. That we would actually talk with each other and we would think together about situations in ways that were charitable. That we wouldn't neglect one part of the law for another part of the law. We wouldn't say Christian values in non-Christian ways. That we would want to be holistic even in how we fought for justice. And we would go back to like Storm on the Mount, the way Jesus talks about who is blessed in his kingdom. And it's those who are meek and those who are merciful and those who are peacemakers. And those who pursue justice and righteousness, those are the ones who actually have the kingdom. In that space, we would seek that first in ways that are really beautiful. We would pursue like real strategies to bring about real change, not just ideological banter back and forth. Like I'm so excited about the next year and the next decade in our community as we turn our attention to being on the front line of caring for people, showing the love of Christ in really tangible ways. I think that's what it would look like, and it will cost us. It will slow things down in some spaces. It will be more beautiful. It will last for forever, but there will be an extreme cost in that spot. That's what it means, I think, to sell. Again, we pray for our leaders, even those that we disagree with. There's a ton of work in really complex places to think through now what policies have to back up these laws and decisions and whose states are going to allow what and what do we do with that and how do we respond to those things like 1 Timothy 2.2 is so clear. Some things are not clear. 1 Timothy 2.2 is so clear for us to pray for those who are in authority over us in our government regardless of their affiliation and your affiliation. There's a lot of things that are evil and when you go to suppress it, it seems like something else is exploited. It's just so dang complicated. So as we see through a glass dimly, would you pray like crazy for leaders and commit yourself to that in full ways that don't just satisfy like guilt or intensity or anxiety in a moment, but actually have a longevity like leaven and mustard seeds that start really small and have a massive, massive impact down the road. Hey, so we have another thing to deal with, men, to just talk about the inequity of this injustice that our sisters feel compared to us. To, to search for it and to see it and then to sell everything to have it would be to put our foot down and stop the marginalizing, the unjust attitudes, the way you see people as commodities to be consumed, the ways we've allowed things in our culture to develop in ways that have marginalized women, to think about laws that actually put them in great vulnerability when men just walk away with no consequences or responsibilities. To ask for our legislators to pass laws that if somebody gets someone pregnant, they're responsible. And to be a Christian man who's gotten someone pregnant outside of wedlock and say, I'm responsible. Like if I had that in my story, I want to move towards justice and mercy. And for men to stop letting women carry the weight of this injustice. Come alongside. Can we just be honest? Every unwanted pregnancy was caused by a man. Every unwanted pregnancy was caused by a man. And yet, where's the poverty line at when it comes to gender? Who bears the weight of that? Church men who have faithful families, would you come alongside of these other families and bring your strength? Men, our job is to protect and care for. Because anytime you have sex, there's a risk of pregnancy. And anytime there's not a covenant of marriage to hold you, you are vulnerable every time you have sex as a woman. 
The covenant of marriage is meant to protect. It's a pledge that I will care for you. I will cherish you. I will sacrifice for you. I will do everything I can to make sure you're okay. And when you're in a vulnerable position, I will use my strengths to help you. And outside of marriage, it's always only wrong. You're always only putting someone in a vulnerable place with very little consequence to yourself and devastating impact to them. Men, purity has to be an expression of treasuring and value in the kingdom of God wholeheartedly. Pornography, objectifying women, thinking through getting your needs met over your sister's needs, all of those things are of the kingdom of the world. They're the kingdom of the flesh and of the self that you have absorbed, you've been lied to, you've adopted things in socially acceptable ways, in ways that actually have caused deep, deep harm. I'm so thankful for spiritual mothers in our community. We need to hear your voices because it's hard as a man to understand what it means to be in that vulnerable position. So so women, like, speak. We need you. We want your voices. This is not the last time we're talking about this, by the way. You'll hear from our spiritual moms. There's a space for lament and repentance. There's a, a need to just simply wake up to the ways that we've misunderstood what sex is. And seeing it either as a way to be comforted or a way to build identity or as a recreational sport. You, you have used pornography in dehumanizing ways that have perpetuated an entire culture and economic system that marginalizes and harms women. Kingdom of God has a whole different set of values. And that actually becomes the chief place, even to put your shame and your guilt. Because the king of the kingdom came and laid down his life in your place. He took the penalty for all of that sin and you could trust him. To trust him as the chief and supreme value in all the world would be to look to him to your righteousness to forgive you and not carry the debilitating shame of the ways you've been harmed and abused and wounded by our culture and lived those things out. But to stop and turn and repent and trust Christ and ask for his help and to be men who follow Jesus towards the vulnerable not exploit the vulnerable, who ask, how do I use my strengths to help and bring about healing rather than ask, what can I get out of this? Married men, this is not just a single guy talk. There are places where our our primary mindset is not, how do I give and serve and sacrifice and protect? It's how do I get, how do I please, how do I comfort, how do I soothe? To put the E on the I chart of the kingdom of God is to trust Christ for all the other things that you need And ask his enabling power to let you move towards the women in your life and in our community. It also means that we won't traffic in shame or comparisons when it comes to how we express living out these kingdom values. It's not an option for us not to care about unborn babies. It's not an option for us not to care about unwed mothers. It's not an option for us not to care about situations where there's unwanted pregnancies. That's not an option for a Christian. You have to care about that. You have to pray about that. It has to break your heart. That's not the same thing as all of us have to act the same way and do the same things to address that need. And there will be giftings and capacities and perspectives and longings and burdens inside our body that people will actually express in different ways. The human tendency is to rank and compare because of that, but the scriptures call us to welcome and cherish and value and uphold and support those who choose a different route than we choose to move towards the injustice. Everyone has to care. Not everyone will act the same way as they care. So as our community, we're going to give freedom. We're going to celebrate. 
We're going to pray for and support. You may not be called to adoption. In fact, lots of us are not going to be called to adoption and foster care. So then our question becomes, how do I support my brothers and sisters who are? A lot of us are not called to political situations and making policies in communities. So then our job is to ask, how do I support and pray for and come alongside those who do? We're going to give tons of freedom in how we express this. But but as we see through a glass dimly, there's a lot of humility, a seeking of wisdom, a constant posture of repentance that will let us move towards people in ways that I think are really beautiful. So, so we will sell everything by even lowering our sense of demanding full understanding to celebrate somebody else's response to these injustices and say, how can I support you? How can I help you? How can I help you lean towards the kingdom of God in those spaces? I think there are enough gifts and burdens and resources in our body right now to make a massive impact in our community, especially if we believe what Jesus taught us in the parables before this of leaven and mustard seeds, the things that start out really small, seemingly insignificant. They're so small you can barely see them, but you give them time and they radically transform and change. Something you can barely see becomes 10 feet tall and birds consider as branches. Something you can barely see impacts something else and radically changes it and it grows towards a sense of justice and mercy. Like let's give ourselves decades worth of labor towards mercy and justice, which is what it will take. And as we pursue the kingdom of God and his righteousness above everything else, Jesus says, we'll change. People will change. Our community will change. God will get glory. People will see the treasure. People will stumble upon it like in a field. They'll find what they're searching for when we live out these kingdom values. So it's not just your own self-fulfillment and whether or not you feel good about your agendas and what you give your time to. It is about partnering with the king and apprenticing Jesus in the way of following him, discipling him in the kingdom. That's where we aim for. And let's just say lastly, to sell everything to have this treasure is to never put our hope in the reversal of Roe v. Wade or the upholding of state laws. Those things, again, are too small. Only King Jesus has enough to provide hope for us as we move towards injustice. So we're a really small church, pretty insignificant, actually, as a group of just ragtag people. But I think partnering with the kingdom of God, the spirit of God, the word of God, God's own son, God's spirit, walking with each other, I think will make a massive, massive impact, which brings us to this last little point that takes us to communion to celebrate with joy. You just notice that it says that he found this thing and then in joy, he goes and sells everything that he has. We're not just talking about an ascetic rightness, something that's precise and does the right thing no matter what, something that actually brings about profound joy. The same kind of joy the scriptures say that was before Jesus that made him endure the cross. Yet for the joy set before him, He endured the cross. So as we follow King Jesus and apprentice him in this crazy, complicated world and ask, what do I look like to treasure his kingdom in the midst of things that are really complicated and confusing? We're following a king who sacrificed his own life, who made real change and transformation possible, who atoned for all of our sin and shame and regrets and failures, who promised to come again, who said that his kingdom would not fail, That's the king that we follow and celebrate. And every week when we take communion, we're reminded that's that's it. 
That's the E on the I chart. That's the thing I'm longing for. It's trusting Christ for all of my righteousness and following him and all the implications of what that means in my crazy, complicated, broken, sad, beautiful kingdom. In those spaces, like there's a lot of things we'll never fully understand. But Christ understands. And as we follow him, I think he'll lead us. As we pray, he'll direct us. As we trust him, he'll heal us. He'll, he'll help us actually move forward. I, I believe that. This pearl of great price isn't just something that you think about like a day trader and go, yep, I'll take that. I'll, I'll put all my stock there. Something that radically transforms you and changes you inside out as you take Jesus and are transformed by him. So let we take communion here as the kind of cap of this. We say every week, like, man, this should lead us to a spot where it makes sense to turn to Christ. So we tear a piece of the bread off and dip it in the cup, the bread representing the broken body of Jesus, the blood representing his shed blood. There's a gluten-free station over here to my right, your left, and some individual packets if that's more comfortable for you. But Christians who are trusting Christ, who have seen that pearl of great price, would you spend some time asking for his help, celebrating mercy and grace and justice, asking for more of those things, and asking him to align your heart with his kingdom? Those of you who are not followers of Jesus, I invite you to stay in your seat. There's some prayers in the back of your bulletin that would give you some examples of how to pray. Would you just pray and ask God to speak to you in those spaces? Then we'll ask him to come and just help as we look for him and treasure him and trust him and try to follow him. Let me pray for us, and then we'll take communion together, and then we'll sing. Jesus, we love you. We ask for your help and for your mercy. Come now as we hear now even a deeper word. You're able by your spirit as we remember the sacrifice of Christ to speak clarifying, deeper things to our hearts. Would you heal and transform and comfort and provoke the way we asked you to at the beginning of our service? Help us now as we remember your sacrifice to see you as the greatest treasure. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I come when you're ready.